Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Man, good morning, church. So great uh, just to see all of your smiling faces and uh, just grateful to be uh, gathered together. And um, my heart is uh, stirred this morning um, as we jump into to the Word together. I shared with Pastor Ron, I, I had a message uh, that the Lord had really stirred my heart in earlier in the week in Matthew 26 and looking at Jesus as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, last night, my heart uh, just stirred a different direction. And uh, I'm excited to jump into God's Word together. And as we think about that word, prepare, um, you know, a lot of times I think about the things that we prepare for. And we prepare for what's important. And a lot of times what we find out later is really the work is in the preparation. I watch my daughter as she's beginning to get ready for track and she's doing different things. Really the work is in the preparation. We are walking through First Peter and we're going to read a verse that I've just, uh, uh, that I just can't quite get past. And it's the verse that really had that uh, word prepare in it. First Peter chapter number three uh, in verse 15. And I want to read that verse. I want to pray for us. And then I want to talk to us today about the greater work. First uh, Peter chapter three, verse 15. Scripture says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let's talk to the Lord. Father God, we are grateful, Lord, that we have the privilege and blessing, Lord, of being able to gather digitally, to be able to gather in this place, God, that we gather as your people. Father, we're thankful to be your people. Lord, you are creator and sustainer. Lord, even our breath is a gift from you, Father. And I pray, God, that you might do something uh, in our midst this morning, God, that would cause us to leave different. God, that would, God, that would stir in the midst of our hearts, God, and that might call a, a people, these people, your people to a greater work. And Father, I pray, God, that in the power of your spirit, God, that I might proclaim your truth and your word. And God, that you might see fit, God, to manifest your presence among a people. God, in a way that, God, that causes today to be something that God begins a shift of your people. And God, we love you. We thank you so much for your love for us, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. You know, I think about this thought of preparing. And I think about this thought of the preparation being the greater work. And I wonder, you know, I, I originally thought that by this time I would be navigating what it looked like to prepare to give a reason, some apologetic answers, that reason, that word, uh, to defend the faith or to give a, uh, a defense for the hope that we have in us. And one of those things that I had planned on navigating is, is why we can believe the Word of God, why we know uh, that the Word of God is true. And I thought by this time we would be gathering there. But as my heart has stirred, I'm stirred to this thought that we are to prepare to give a reason for the hope that is within us. But we find ourselves living in a world where very few are asking the question. We find ourselves living in a culture where we are called to be prepared to give a reason for everyone that asks and no one is asking. And as my heart has stirred that direction, I'm convinced that we as a church and as a country and as a people 
are desperate for God to move in our midst. We are desperate to see a move of God in this land, a move of God where the church is set apart in holiness, where the church is set apart and looks different than this world. So many times we are a reflection of this world, and we'll talk uh, about some of that instead of a reflection of Christ, where God is pressing his life in and through us, and we are uh, being manifested to the body of Christ. We need a, a word of God where, where this church is, is pursuing holiness and where the world is convicted, where the world is drawn to the beauty of the gospel that is displayed in the lives of God's people. We need God to move. And, and I want to ask you something. How do we prepare for God to move? How do we prepare for a move of God. Now, I want to just remind you of one thing. We can't manufacture a move of God. We don't have the ability to come into this place and manufacture the manifest presence of God among His people. We don't have the ability to do that, but we can do some things that prepare our hearts if God so fittingly moves among His people. And so I think, what do we see in the past? In 1857, America was in the middle of a strong economy. As often happens in times of prosperity, you know, a lot of times when we are in times of prosperity, we feel like we have everything that we need. We, we find ourselves lacking Nothing, And in times of that, we can lose our desperation and our dependence on God. And in times like that, we can find ourselves in a place. And, and in this time that we're speaking of, morals began to slip. Interest in the things of God began to decline. Alarmed by the state of affairs, alarmed by the spiritual state, there was a man, a, a Dutch layman named Jeremiah Lampier that he tacked up notes around New York City. And I can picture this man that all of a sudden as he looked at the condition of his city as he looked at the condition of this world that he would tack up notes around New York City and he would nail those notes up and I can imagine him stirred in his heart praying and nailing those notes up and as he nailed those notes up they would say prayer meeting at 12 p.m. prayer meeting from noon till one on Wednesdays I can imagine him you know he didn't have uh, Facebook and you couldn't share it on social media and maybe you're watching online maybe you're joining in our online campus and I would be honored if you would share uh, this message if you would send the word out I can imagine as he would nail those those signs up that said prayer meeting from noon to one on Wednesday the first week came and I can imagine that I don't know how many signs he had nailed up around New York City but that first week he had put a location and that first week there were not so many that came and one thing that was very interesting I think there were only six people that came and nobody showed up before 1230 you know it's 914 right now and I can kind of imagine like we're gathering here and until right now, nobody walks in or joins online. That's the kind of moment, right? His heart is burdened, and he says, prayer meeting from noon to one on Wednesday, and nobody is there. But 30 minutes into it, six people show up. The next week, the attendance jumped to 20. And then the numbers nearly jumbled, uh, doubled again. And on the 15th day, they began meeting every day, every weekday, to pray. And about that time... Wall Street crashed about that time. The country's attention was shaken. They were turned toward things that really mattered, heavenly matters. And there was a desperation among the people. And in less than six months, 
those less than 10 that gathered in that first prayer meeting went to 50,000 businessmen who were gathering daily in New York City to pray and call upon the name of Jesus during that noon hour. And God did amazing things through that prayer meeting. And I want to make a statement that I believe is consistent with history and is consistent with the Word of God that God moves. God moves when His people pray. Now, we can't manufacture a move of God. There's not a prescription that says we pray in just a moment and God is going to do exactly what we, we call on him as a heavenly father that desires to work among his people. And, and somehow in God's plan and in his word, we see that his plan is that he moves in accordance with the prayers of his people. He doesn't need us. It's not that we have to do that in order for God to be able to work, but he chooses to work in that way. You know, history is silent. J. Edwin Orr, you'll see a quote from him. I think I put it in the slides. But history is silent about revivals that did not begin with prayer. And our country is desperately in need of a move of God. America today has found herself in the midst of a strong economy. America today has found herself in the midst of a time where morality has declined to an all-time low. For the majority of people, particularly those that are younger, and there are statistics that are very easy to point to this, but for those, especially a generation that is coming, a generation that is now the standard is no longer God and His Word. The standard of morality is no longer defined by the words of this book, but by how people think and what culture might say. See, that's what happens when mankind determines what's right and wrong. We are seeing the result of what happens when man determines what's right and wrong. And when man sets the rules, when man does those kind of things, and, and it leads to a morality that shifts in our culture as the thinking of our culture shifts. Sin is accepted as normal. In our midst, it is celebrated and it is expected to be celebrated by everyone. It is expected to be celebrated by the church. It is expected to be celebrated by people all around. And if you don't celebrate, then you are intolerant and unloving. I believe it was O'Connell that said, nothing is politically right that is morally wrong. Hundreds of thousands of abortions take place every year. Babies murdered in the womb. Sin is rampant all around. And, and we see in our culture there's a shift. And, and it's really nothing new. If you look back to the very beginning and you look at the fall, Adam and Eve in the garden, we, we see this, uh, this sin and we see them responding to God after the fall. And God asked them, he, he asked Adam, he says, why in the world? What, what, what are you doing? Why did you eat from the fruit? And Ed Lewis would tell us from our class on Wednesday night that there's two reasons that Adam said right away. He said, first of all, that woman gave it to me. It's her fault. And then he said, by the way, God, it's your fault because you gave her to me. And then the woman said, yeah, don't look at me. It's the snake. It's the serpent. 
And in America today, the blame game is high. We live in a culture where everyone is a victim of something, where the reason that we sin is never because of our own immorality and our own selfish fleshful desires. You can read a laundry list of those things in Galatians 5. You can read a laundry list of the works of the flesh that we see manifested in our presence. We see human trafficking, murder, theft. There are so many things. And people say, you know what? It's not my fault. And the reason that I'm in this thing is because of something that happened in my past. The reason that I'm walking in this is because of something outside of me. And God, it's your fault because you've not answered my We see these kind of excuses. 50% of 11 to 13-year-old children have seen pornography. 65% of 14 to 15-year-olds. 78% of 16 to 17-year-olds. In 2018, one, hear me, one pornographic website reported this. Just one, and I have no idea how many they are, but just one reported 33 and a half billion visits in that year. 33 and a half billion visits. There was an increase over 5 billion from the year before and I can imagine now as people have been connected more and more digitally and spend more and more time at home how this is looking. 92 million per day. Now that website reports over 100 million visits per day. Every minute near than 64,000 visits while we are gathered in this place. Every minute there are 64,000 people that are engaging and looking at this one particular website. 30% of all data that's transferred on the internet is transferred. It is pornography. Sin is increasing and it is more acceptable than ever. And like in Lampier's day, like in that day, the interest in the things of God has decreased. We all know that. We see it all around us. Fact is, we live in one of the two continents in the world where Christianity is in decline. Now, there are places that a move of God is happening and that Christianity is thriving. There's a slide that has lots of statistics and you, you can see up here that there's a, there's a gap and there's a change in, uh, in generations. And I want you to see, we don't have time to go into details here, but you can see the silent generation, those born in 1928 to 1945, 84% of those people would say that they are Christian. And if you go down to the millennial generation, only 49% of those people would say that and unaffiliated or what the largest group that is growing are these people that are identifying themselves as nuns and next week unless the Lord does what he did this week as we talk about parent-child dedication we're going to talk about what it looks like to pour our faith and to prepare another generation right a generation among us that might follow the Lord in his ways and that we might help and equip them but the statistics are not Good. You'll see uh, things of, of religious attendance, right? And I imagine this is even much worse today. This was 2018 statistics that 50% weekly or more of the silent generation attends church. And millennials, 22%. And this is once a month. This is not regular. And it's my conviction that America is prepared for one of two things. It is my conviction that we are prepared for one of two things. Judgment or revival. So what do we do? When the land that we live and love, when... The place that we live is in desperate need of healing. What do we do in the midst of those moments? And in 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, God speaks to his people in the Old Testament. Now in this place, Solomon has finished building the temple. He's offered this prayer of dedication. And God speaks to him and he says, when you mess up, when the people turn away, when these kind of things happen, I want you to remember 
this. And in verse 13 and 14, he says this, If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. I want you to notice the wording, among my people. And my people, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And I want you to get these two words, my people. I want you to hear that, my people. Because when, when God looks, he doesn't look at the White House. He looks at the church house. And when we are desperately in need of healing, he doesn't look for legislation to uh, advance morality, but he looks for God's people to advance morality and for a move of God that might begin in his people. And I want to point out a couple of things, and, and we're going to land this, this plane, but when we think about my people, the first thing I want you to see in this is there's a desperation that results in dependence. There's a de desperation that results in dependence. When you look at this passage, he said, when the locusts are devouring the land and there's no food and there's hunger, when, when disease and pestilence and, and hard things are coming, he says, there's something that's going to happen among your people and they're going to be desperate. We live in a culture that's desperate for something, but, but the problem is, is, is that around our culture, they don't know what they need to be desperate for we, we, we're desperate for something and people scripture says that we've been created with eternity in our hearts that that there are people around that would profess and say you know what I'm an atheist but according to Romans chapter 1 I don't believe that you'll see that to be a very true case that, that, that we've been created right with this 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 God-sized hole in our we 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 know there's this desperation but that desperation has to move to dependence, And he said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. The second thing is humility and hunger. So we see desperation and dependence. We see number two, humility and hunger. Humility and hunger. First Peter chapter number five, I believe it is in verse number five. If you, if, if you were still bookmarked there, but it says that God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And I need his grace. I need his touch. Leonard Ravenhill, great revivalist, said a man may study because his brain is hungry for knowledge, even Bible knowledge. And I am all about us being in the Word. You know that. But I love this quote. He said, but he prays because his soul is hungry for God. Humility and hunger. We need God to stir up a hunger in his people to be in his presence. See, that's what the next part of that verse really says. It says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. You know, we see this this picture and this posture of prayer all through the New Testament. There's a few places where it says stand and pray, but many times we see this posture of a person falling on their knees or falling on their face before God. And it's this confession, it's this posture in our prayer that reflects the humility that is in our heart that says, God, I am nothing and you are everything, God, and I need you. And, and in this, he says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That seek my face, it's this Hebrew uh, uh, phrase that gives this picture of something that's greater than just prayer. The first word that we see in that passage talks about prayer, and it's the most generic term for, for prayer that we see used. It's this very standard look at prayer. But, but what we see in this desire to seek his face, there's a desire to be in his presence. There's a desire not just simply for our needs to be met, not just simply so that I can give God the orders for that day. That's what our prayer life many times looks like. And God, uh, for just 
convicting my heart so much in this, but that's the way my prayer life can look like so many times. God, I need you to go do this, and I need you to go do that, and I need you to, and, and we have these lists of things. But we're talking about this heart that we might seek and know him, that we might desire to be in his presence, right? That there is commitment. This is what we see in this. There's commitment and there's consistency. There's this thing that says, you know what? If I don't have time for nothing else, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. And we live in a world that's distracted. We live in a world that so many things vie for our attention. But if we want to see God move, we need his people to have commitment and consistency in their life that they seek his face. J. Oswald Sanders said this. He said, mastering the art of prayer like any other art will take time. You know, we like to say that the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. And the way that we invest in any relationship in our lives is that four-letter word, time. It is the way that we invest in the relationship with our wives, with our, with our husbands with our family it is the way that we build any relationship it is in time Sanders says this he says the amount of time he said like any other art it will take time and the amount of time that we allocate to it will be the true measure of our conception of its importance that's true for any relationship in our lives but it is especially true for our relationship with God and, and we live in a time and we live in a place where we can be so busy with so many things that we can crowd out the most important thing in our lives. The thing that everything else flows out of. Everything in our life flows out of a relationship with the Father. We, uh, Jesus was very clear. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches apart from me. You can do nothing. But we read that and we say, you're the vine and we're the branches. And if we need you... We'll lean into you and we'll call on your name, but it's going to take something in our lives that's bigger than, than, than we can even imagine to get us to that place. And it, it's going to take this or, or God, we, we are able to do most of this on our own, but when it comes to the big stuff, we'll come to you. And Jesus said, apart from me, he said, you're not going to do anything. And when we start our day in the presence of an almighty God, then everything flows out of that in our life and everything in our life, every other relationship, every other thing we do, it is an overflow of intimacy with the Father. We've got to have commitment and consistency. And finally, we've got to have repentance instead of rebellion. And remember, I'm talking about God's people. He said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then he said, there's something that's going to happen in those moments when my people recognize the desperation and the need and they turn from their wicked ways. They humble themselves and say, God, I can't do it on my own. I've got to turn from my wicked ways. He said, then there's something beautiful that's going to happen. The windows of heaven are going to be open. The, the, the God's ear is going to turn to that people. He said, he said, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. How do we give? How do we prepare to give an answer when no one is asking the question? How do we prepare to defend the faith? How do we do that? What do we do? In the deacons meeting last week, we were talking about the statement that I'd quoted that said it's time that the church moves from survival mode into discipleship mode. And we move uh, into this moment that we would embrace that God has called us to. And there was a statement that was made that said, you know, when you, when you kind of slide down to the bottom of the mountain, sometimes you've got to start back over with the basics. And so where do we start? Daniel Henderson, who runs a group called the 6-4 Fellowship, and it's this, this calling, and I was introduced to it this past week, and it was this calling uh, that we would be uh, pastors. It's a pastor's group that would uh, build off of Acts 6-4, that they would give themselves, is what the Scripture says, to the ministry of the Word and to the prayer. We are familiar with that verse, and he uh, leads a group of people that uh, are, are connected in in a restoration of prayer among God's people. And he says this. He said, the next new thing, he said, it better be the first old thing. Uh, that's what he said. And I really liked that. I thought, man, that is awesome. The next new thing, 
must be the first old thing, especially for such a time as this. And Os Guinness said this. He said, the church always goes forward by first going backward, right? He always goes forward best by going back first. And, and we must start, I believe, with everything in me that we as God's people must start on our knees, that we must get back to a place of humility and dependence upon God, and it is declared by our time on our knees. That's how we define our dependence on God. Our independence is defined by our self-ability uh, and our own ways that we decide that we're going to do life without God in the midst of every detail. Andrew Murray, who is a pastor and author, or was in... Uh, South Africa in the late 1800s. And it's amazing how God works in all places and, and, he, and he shifts a, a people in, in moments. But he says this, he says, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. I want you just to Soak that in for just a moment. You know, we talk about evangelizing. We talk about going. We talk about doing those things. And, and I love the thought of this statement that the, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to the world in evangelization history. And something stirred in me as I read those kind of things. What if God could use one of us for that? What if God could use me or you for that in this church? What if God could do something amazing? Something only he could do. Something powerful in our midst. How do we mobilize a church to pray? I don't know. I don't know every answer about this, but I want to give you just something that I think is so important in this. I want you to go back to those two words that we talked about. He said, if my people, and I want you to lean into that word, people for just a moment and we think about that and we read the scriptures from western eyes and we read the scriptures from an individualistic culture where it is all uh, about me but I want you to know this word for people it is a group of people it is referred to as a nation or an army or, or it's a word that means that type of uh, picture and he says if my people so how do God's people need to pray well we need to pray individually we'll talk a little bit about that but we also need to pray corporately. There's something amazing about what God does in the hearts of his people when we pray together. We need personal prayer, but we need corporate prayer. We need moments where we gather, whether it be a college small group or a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night group or times that we might come together and pray you know, we live in a culture where we could say that we're going to have a great name person or a concert or a band or this or that, and a large crowd could be drawn in attendance. But we live in a time where if we said, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting where you would see very few people in our culture show up for those kind of things because we have discounted the importance of this in our lives. John Franklin, who wrote a book called uh, When the Place Was Shaken, uh, it comes from Acts 4.31, which is one of my favorite verses. But he says, we must pray together if we are to see God's power in sufficient measure. By and large, American Christians have abandoned fervent, united corporate prayer. The apostles, Jesus, the pattern of Scripture, history, and God's current working today bear witness that until we return to this practice, we should expect to see continuing decline in societal morals and increased powerless churches. The one concern of the devil hear this, don't miss this this morning. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion.
something beautiful when God's people pray together. In a world where everything seems to be pulling us apart, it is corporate prayer that draws us together. See, the working of God in history, it's consistent with the things that we read in the book of Acts. We have just been reading the book of Acts together as a faith family, and we'll start tomorrow in the book of Romans, and we are excited uh, to jump in there. We encourage you to join digitally. We encourage you to join uh, through, through the papering plan, however you might join. Every day there is, uh, every weekday there is a five-minute or 45-minute, depending on what kind of mood we're in that day. But, um, you know, hey, we, we try to keep it short. But there is a devotion uh, that is online every day. You can access it through the church app. You can access it through Facebook. We, we connect in his word together. And as we were walking through the book of Acts, we see God move in power, right? Have, have you noticed that in the book of Acts? Like we, we're reading that and we're like, wow, right? I, don't, I mean, and, and by the way, like uh, you're going to see some prayer resources and I'll point you to some of them. We, some of you have heard of the Acts prayer method, right? Where we're adoration, confession, we, uh, thanksgiving, supplication. We see those kind of things. Well, when you're dealing with like young kids and family, there's another thing on there. And, and what adoration means that for, for them to understand stand it's like wow this is who you are God and when I read the book of Acts I'm like a little kid and I read how God moved and I say wow this is an amazing God I long to see those kind of things in Acts chapter 1 they pray and they pray in this upper room for 10 straight days and the spirit of God falls on them, right? We see the Holy Spirit come, and Peter, man, the denying one, the one that said, you know what, Jesus, the rest of these old boys, they may lay down, but it won't be me. It won't be me. I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to do something because I'm prideful, and I'm strong, and I can do everything in my own power. But then all of a sudden, Peter, man, he denied Jesus, and he came face to face with a resurrected Savior. He came face to face, and he was restored, and he was sent out on mission for the glory of his name. And then something beautiful happened. The Spirit of God fell on that place. And I want to tell you something. We can do nothing apart from His Spirit. It's time that the church stops operating in their own power and putting a bunch of smart people together and saying, you know what? We'll figure out how to do church. It's time that God's people say, Lord, the measure of what we do this Sunday is not going to be how talented the choir is. It's not going to be if the preacher has funny jokes. It's not going to be how many people are in that place. The measure of what church looks like is if God showed up and if we want to have church apart from him showing up there's nothing that's going to change in our midst there's nothing that's going to change in our hearts there's no way that we walk in a place and we walk out different but if God shows up I want you to know everything changes and God showed up and in the power of his spirit Peter preached the gospel and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ Christ in Acts chapter 4 they pray then in verse 31 the Bible says that while they were praying glory to God while they were praying that the place that they were gathered was shaken and he said that God's people in that place that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and I want to tell you something when you see people filled with the Holy Spirit there's a lot of stuff out there that say this is what it looks like but I want to tell you what it looks like you'll find the people that are preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ with boldness that's what you'll find then the place that they were gathered it was shaken and these people they leave Man, and they shake Jerusalem for the glory of God. The Bible tells us that they turned the city of Jerusalem upside down. That's what happened when God moved. By the time that we finish Acts chapter 5, there's more than 10,000 people. Uh, that The church has grown in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 12, uh, well, we read about how the church was praying. Right? You remember, Peter was in prison and the church was praying fervently. The church was praying. And then there were shackles that fell off. There were gates that were opened. There were things things that, that changed in those moments, right? Uh, we need, we are desperate to see people are in bondage, you know, where people are struggling in the midst of our society. We are desperate to see God move in such a way. And it happens when His people, when they come together and when they pray and they seek His face in the next chapter. Man, I could go on for days. What time does this end? Woo! And I'm going to tell you, in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 13, the church says, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to pray. And God calls a man named Paul and He sends him out on mission for the glory of His name. And He's the greatest 
greatest missionary that has ever lived and he lived and it all resulted man the church came together and they were praying and they were seeking God's face and he said set apart for me come on out to he said set apart for me he said I want to take these people and I want to shake this world for the glory of their name and it's not because of their good and it's not because they're special but it's because I call them and it's because I work in response to the prayers of my people and God does that and when he does that he is glorified and he is magnified and the church goes forth in power I'm about halfway there this past week we attended a virtual discipleship conference as a staff and y'all know my heart um, has been stirred in a great way a few years back around people being engaged around the word and in discipling relationships. And I've poured what I know in my ability into that and have tried to point us in that direction. But I want to tell you something. Sitting down there, we gathered in the hub downstairs. And as we sat, I sat in the back. And as, as the first speaker began to preach and talk, he began to share about prayer. And there was something that God was doing in me. And I want you to know, we all sat back there in the tears. But I just wept as he talked about prayer. I'm, I was expecting some more tips and some encouragement on what we could do to engage in a better way in our discipleship. But my heart was stirred and convicted in a way that is bigger than I can explain in these moments with a call to prayer for, for me personally. You know, I feel like sometimes we can, I wish I had a bunch of little sticks, but sometimes I think we can continue to just try to build a fire. We can put stick after stick after stick on there. And, and I read a lot. I constantly am reading. I constantly am looking. I'm constantly doing. And we can fill our minds with knowledge. But it is in desperate prayer that the fire of God falls on us and that we are moved. And, and I don't know exactly where we are going, but I pray that God stirs some hearts in this place like he has stirred mine. Remember Jeremiah Lampier, that little prayer meeting that he started, it became a, a, a pattern that uh, spread through America that God used. And in 1958, that, that movement moved to virtually every major city in America. And the response of God to his people was that a million Americans out of a population of 30 million people were converted in less than two years. At the height of the revival, uh, around 50,000 a week were being saved by God's grace. And I just wonder, what if God is calling a Jeremiah lamp here out of our midst? What if he's calling uh, someone in this room or online that's gathered in this place that would say, you know what, God, I'll give myself to the greater work. I'll give myself to prayer, to mobilizing and connecting God's people together. And I want to bring up something. This guy wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a missionary. He was a Christian that was obedient to God. And he started praying. And he called on Jesus' name. And this morning, the last thing I want to do is guilt you into praying. But I'm praying that God would convict hearts like he has convicted mine. And that we might privately find a place where we might fall on our face before a holy God every day. And that we might be prepared with power when we are sent out into this world. And that publicly we might renew a call to prayer in our midst, that our classes and that our, our services would look better. And I'm so convicted that many times we can turn prayer into a moment of transition so that people can get down here or people can do this and it needs to be a core of who we are. See, we have access to the very throne room of heaven and God forbid that we have taken that for granted so many times because of so many things. But I want to challenge you to personal prayer, to time with the Father every day that you might get up and that you might say, I am so dependent on the Lord that I'm not going to start my day without Him. I'm not, I'm not going to go play the game and then get in the huddle. I'm going to get in the huddle and then I'm going to go play the game. Because when we gather in the throne room of heaven in the morning, I believe we are equipped with power for the day. And I want to challenge you that before you go to bed at night, that you might gather in the throne room of heaven with a loving Heavenly Father 
Father, and that we might see peace uh, in our midst at night, right? We, we would go to bed knowing that we have a God. And by the way, I love Psalm 121. We, we, oh, man, it's a long day. And I love that chapter, right, because, because we see in there that those Jewish pilgrims, man, they'd get weak and they'd get weary. They were traveling to the feast days. Things would happen. They'd face sickness. They'd face suffering. And they said, you know what? I'll lift mine eyes unto the Lord from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. And he goes on in that passage, and he says, that's why we need to pray at night, because we know that we're going to fall asleep and that we're going to get weary. But we serve a God who never sleeps or slumbers. We serve a God who in Psalm 121 says never gets distracted or discouraged. I want you to know something. We need to pray in the morning so that we might be sent out with power into our world and we need to get on our face before God at night that we might lay in our bed and we might have peace because in a world that's spinning out of control, we know that we have a God who is sovereign over all things and who is in control. Power in the morning, peace at night. We need to pray. We need to pray together. Uh, there, there's a, a website, uh, cowie.church forward slash prayer. I added some resources there. You can check those out if you're interested. They're also in the app. But I want to challenge you, pray privately and then pray together. Whenever we can, we pray together. Acts 6-4, he said that these pastors, if they were giving themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And it doesn't mean uh, that somehow I need to take all my time and be sitting away from people uh, studying uh, for, for Sunday. But it means that I need to be giving myself to the word and to the ministry of the word and prayer and that we might be found all over wherever we are calling on his name. And I just want to challenge you, whatever God's doing, uh, I, I don't know where we're going exactly. I told our staff uh, as I whipped in the elevator, right, and shared with them how God had convicted my heart. And we're, we're trying to ride up, and that's how just God works in me. My, my eyes just begin to go. And as I'm sharing with them, I said, I don't know where we're going, but I know we're going somewhere. And I want to lean in and, and hear from heaven. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. But prayer is the greater work. And I want to invite you to give yourself to prayer. I want to invite you, his people, to humble yourself. And you, you do that, by the way, by being on your face before a holy God, by recognizing that Apart from him, you can do nothing. So apart from him, you won't do anything. You, re you, you declare that by action. We're a church that says love and action. We declare our dependence in that way. I want to invite you to humble yourselves. God has convicted and broken me in so many ways that there are so many times that I've stood in this pulpit. And I've read. And I've put in the time and I've studied and I've looked at quotes. But that I've come up here in my own strength. And for that, I'm sorry. That's the second word in that Acts. He says, adoration. Wow. That's kind of been me this week. Wow, God, you are awesome. I'm not. Then that confession, it just says, God, I'm sorry. Because I know. I know where the power of God comes from in my preaching. I know where the power of God is that moves the church. I know, I know all those things. Conviction's something beautiful. It's much better than guilt. Conviction is administered by the hand of a loving God. And it's because he loves us. I just want to invite you to journey with me. I pray God would do something in your heart that he's doing in mine. And it's only in the power of his spirit that we'll see God move. You know, Nehemiah, he looked at the, his city. He said, the city, look around. He said, the city's destroyed. Its walls are destroyed. It's, it's in ruin. He said, let's, let's, let's join hands together and commit ourselves to this work. Will you pray with me, Father? When I say with me, I want to ask you to call on the name of the Lord in these moments. 
Be obedient to God, whatever that is. But may we call on his name together individually. May we start with just, wow, God, you are awesome and mighty, Lord, and we are so grateful. God, that you are mindful of us, Lord, the God that spoke this this universe into existence without even breaking a sweat. It is overwhelming, God, that you are mindful of me. Father, we, we stand in awe of your glory. God, we stand in awe that you would see fit to use us to be part of what you're doing in this world. That God, somehow in your great plan, Lord, that you would, God, limit your activity and, and power to the prayers of your people. And God, somehow in your grace, Lord, in a place that you desire to move, Lord, that you would convict hearts of people in that place to call upon your name, Lord, so that anything that might happen, Lord, through the work that takes place out of this body, Lord, that we would not uh, have an arrogant, prideful way and think that we have done anything, Lord, but that we would be in humility, God, knowing that it is only through the work of your hand, God, that you have moved. God, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to humble ourselves. God, that you would, uh, God, allow us every day, Father, if we are able Lord, not simply just to call on your name, but God, that we might have a posture of prayer. God, that we might get on our knees before you. God, that you might find uh, people all over this community, all over this area. God, on their knees before you. God, calling on your name, Lord. And our our, uh, dependence, Lord, is declared not only by our words, but our posture. God, that we might kneel before you. God, that it might prepare our hearts to approach the very throne room of heaven. Lord, to know that we have access, Lord, through the blood of Christ, God, not because of our righteousness, but because of His. And Lord, in light of the grace and goodness and, Lord, the sacrifice, God, in our place, Lord, the work that allows us to approach that throne, God, may we never take it lightly again. And Lord, when we arrive there, may we find grace and mercy, as you promised, Lord, for our time of need as we make our request, Lord, as we... Lift up this world, God, and may our prayers not simply be filled with demands and things that are there, but, Lord, may our prayers be filled with trust in a loving Father, Lord, and a desire to see the gospel go forth, Lord. And we see when that kind of prayer is spread. I remember Paul in, in Philippians 1, he, he prayed, Lord, and part of his, his heart that he communicated with, with his church was even though he was in chains, the gospel is going forth. And Lord, may our heart and prayer be that the gospel might go forth. Because God, we know that it is the power of your spirit and the gospel that changes a land that is in desperate need of healing. Lord, you turn your ear. The scripture says when your people who are called by your name humble themselves and pray and seek your face. God, that's our part. God, I pray, Lord, you'll strengthen me to do my part. God, I pray, Lord, that every person in this room, God, would be praying the same thing, Lord, that in the power of your spirit, God, that you would strengthen us to do our part. And God, we're just going to trust you with the rest. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that's not your people. God, if there's somebody online that's viewing this service, if there's somebody in this building with me, God, that's never been saved by your Amazing grace, God, I pray, Lord, that you would convict their hearts today, God, that they would connect, Lord, that, that we, uh, God, would, would see you move in their lives, God. We pray for revival in our community and in our land, Lord. We pray for revival in your church. God, we pray that this place would be known as a house of prayer. And, God, we pray that you would move in power and in glory and in might for the glory of your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.